Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Nicole Baker joins the podcast this week, and Nicole is a highly respected life coach, podcaster, and speaker. And in this conversation, we go in-depth about identity, goal-setting, and perfectionism. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all their products, see which ones might work best for you and your health needs. Then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 190 of Something for Everybody with Nicole Baker. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to talk to you again. Absolutely. I'm very, very excited. And before we get into the, the meat and bones of this conversation, I have the most important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing good. I We were just talking about this before we started recording. I just came back from a conference from last week, and... I haven't been to a conference like this since pre-COVID and I was going into this being like, okay, you know, me at conferences, I have like just nonstop energy. I'm able to be like very, um, talkative and very, you know, like in, in like networking and all that kind of stuff. And I was not that way. <laughs> I was not that way. I was so tired and I got drained very, very quickly. And so coming back, I've been like kind of on this like up ramp of like getting my energy back and feeling like a human again. So um, I'm having a nice easy day today, which I think was really important to me having this like first work day back in. So to answer your question, I'm good. I'm ramping up. I think it's the best way to put it. Why do you why do you think that happened? That's interesting. Were you were you running and gunning too fast before you got there and that maybe your body was telling you you need a break or was it something different? I think in previous situations I held myself to a certain standard when I would attend things like this. I try to get every single morsel out of it and like push myself beyond my limits and call myself, mm, look at me, look at how I did such a good job, like you know that high achieverness in us. And I've been doing a lot of work on that side of me that constantly is demanding more and more and more and saying like, you constantly need to be doing more, outperforming more, da, 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 da. And I'm doing a lot of work on what does it look like if that's not a part of your life? And it's been unbelievably hard, the hardest work I've ever done internally. And this was one of those first instances where I was in a big, big, big crowd. And I was like, I'm just going to really honor whatever is going on. And that was so much harder than I think I ever imagined it being. So I think that that was a huge part of it, trying to think about what do I need in this moment? My brain was working a lot harder rather than just going to old default patterns. So um, I think that that was the biggest reason. I'm just going to cut through the bullshit with you because you and I can talk about this kind of stuff. So um, that I think is the biggest reason, which was unexpected. Hmm. Yeah. Do you... <clears throat> Do you think about balance often? Do you like that word? Like, how does that play into your into your own life? How you coach your clients? I know this is not what I wanted to start with. That's but okay. It, like, this, I'm going this with it anyways. Um, 
I like that word. Yes. Do I believe in that word? No, I don't Mm. think it exists. I think that we're constantly evolving into different chapters of our life. We're constantly being needed in a different direction. Like sometimes my goals are the number one focus and that is the chapter that I'm in. Sometimes it's my relationship. Sometimes it's me and my personal health. Sometimes it's my family. And I have to honor those chapters. But when I'm in my family chapter, for instance, there's no way in hell I can balance work with the same amount of veracity as I would when work is the main chapter. So I believe that there's an ebb and a flow. I don't believe in all or nothing. I don't believe in when you're in those chapters, that's the whole entire focus. I believe in finding like that balance that way. But I don't think there's anything that's like, this is my constant work-life balance. I don't think that exists. I think it always needs to be ebbing and flowing. Yeah. Yeah, I think about more of like harmony, you know? Yeah. It makes most most sense to me when I think about it in a relationship. And I I heard Brene Brown talk about it. uh yeah she's incredible awkward brave and kind if we all could be all three of those things like yeah that's the that's the values we strive for but she's like no relationship is like uh you know 50 50 it's like Mm -hmm. you had a really hard day okay you're at like i'm sure you've heard this saw this instagram thing or she or whatever she was talking to tim ferris who's amazing yeah yeah like 20 percent. okay i give 80 percent today now Mm -hmm. i'm at like 30 percent. you give 70 percent today and i think about the same way sort of in my own life in sort of these little pockets that I try and be my best in while I'm in the thing that I'm doing. Now, when I wake up and overall, I'm like at a 50%. I just like didn't get enough sleep. I, I worked late. A lot of things happen. Okay, so I have 50%, but I want to give 40 of that to this thing that I'm doing because that's my most important task for the day. Yeah. And then when I get home, I got about 10% left to whatever, to try and have some deep uh, conversation with my girl or just like be in deep love or whatever the case may be. So that's how I like that framework work for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but like trying creating that, that sort of harmony in my life and not worrying about if the scales are tipped a little bit and I'm a little off, but I'm trying to create this, like, it's like basically walking a tightrope. There's like some dynamic equilibrium that's like going on. And I'm like, just trying to make it, uh, you know, as I, as I walk forward with each step. Um, it's ironic yeah. that you bring up that clip because that is probably my most listened to podcast episode I've ever heard in my entire life. I've listened to it minimum 20 times. And if you oh. haven't listened to the full episode, it is yeah. genius. I have no other words for it. It's two of these incredible people sitting down having these conversations about things that are so like cutting through the bullshit. It's so beautiful. So if you haven't listened to that full episode, I strongly recommend it. And I'll actually tell you after listening to that episode, my husband and I tried that for a while where we come together at the end of the day. He has a very demanding job. He's in tech. I am an entrepreneur. So that's obviously uh, has its own set of demands, but we came together and we would be like, okay, what are you at? What am I at? And the first few times we did it, we realized we were always saying like 20, 30, like it's really low numbers. And it's like, okay, we need to figure something out. So Something him and I started doing is like really seeing how can we sustain that energy throughout the day so that we're not gassing out by 5 p.m. so that we do still have that energy throughout the day. And for me, that looks like having a slow morning, having a time on my porch where I get some sunlight, going to the gym, like really taking that time in the morning. And it also means not gunning it at a thousand percent every single day during the workday, no matter what my chapter is in to bring it back to that. But we started doing that and we noticed, oh my gosh, that's actually really working. At least on my end, I was having a lot more energy at the end of the day. And it all came down to 
I really do think it all came down to like luxuriating in the moments and like being present in the moments rather than, okay, what's next? What's next? How can I get this as fast as possible? How can I multitask through this? Da, 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 which our brain literally doesn't do multitasking. Multitasking is the biggest myth we've ever concocted as human beings. We're not working on two things at once. Our brain is rapidly switching back and forth, which is draining our brain's energy, um, glucose specifically. So when we're draining our glucose storages, we're not able to have that energy for the rest of the day. So that's why we were at, you know, 20, 30%. So that was just a fun little thing we learned. And I strongly recommend anyone listen to that. I really think it's just like on Tim Ferriss podcast. It's just Brene Brown's episode. I think it was back in January when they recorded it. Yeah. Tim's so, website is like super user-friendly. If you type yeah. in Brene Brown in the search bar, yeah, it'll pop up. That's Perfect. why he's like, the best podcaster of all He's time. So but uh, anyways, when I when I was about to have this conversation with you, I've been thinking about this, like what I wanted to talk to you about. And obviously, I wanted to dive deep into your area of expertise, which is perfectionism and all of that great stuff and high achiever. And, and we're going to get to that. But the first thing I thought about was this idea of identity, because we both were performers mm -hmm. in sort of similar fields. Um, you know, anytime you're a performer, it's very similar. How did that or how does that or did that shape your identity or how you think about identity and how that sort of bled into this high achiever perfectionist ideal? So I want to talk about it neurologically and then I'll get into my side of the story with it, if that's all right with you. Great. So when we're ever putting an identity on ourselves, our brain does like this maximum super powered, like linking of neurons basically. And it just says, okay, let's say for instance, I'm like, um, actually, this is a personal example, not performance related, but um, several years ago, I finally was like, okay, I've been saying I'm not a runner my entire life. And it's a shock of shocks. I'm only able to run for like two minutes on the treadmill before I'm like, <gasps> like gasping for air. So I was like, okay, let me just try this out. What if I just start saying I'm a runner? I am a runner. I am a runner. I am a runner over and over and over again. I'd start running and I'd chant, I am a runner. I am a runner. Within... I think it was like a few months I ran my first 5K. Within six months, I ran my first half marathon. Never in my life would I have thought that I'd be able to do that. But what happens is when we start saying, I am blank, insert thing here, a business owner, um, a great partner, I am intelligent, I am whatever you're, the, the thing you're wanting to identify with here, I'm a performer. You start to literally change the way your brain views and interacts with the world so that it matches that identity. So this like blew my mind and it made so much sense because when I was in performer and I was performer for what, 12 years, I was musical theater. I went to one of the best musical theater colleges in America. Um, and when I finally was going to leave that field, my entire identity, like it almost shattered a little bit. Because for 12 years, I told myself, I'm a musical theater performer. I'm a performer. I'm a performer. I'm a singer. I'm a dancer, whatever you want to call it. And to suddenly say that's not a part of my life anymore, I had a little bit of this like quarter life crisis where I didn't know what to believe in anymore. And I think that I suddenly started filling it with like, okay, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a hard worker. And I started filling it with all these different things. And I think some of that served me, some of that didn't. but. I want to talk about the I am a hard worker because that's the one that a lot of high achievers associate with, whether you're a performer, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're insert anything else here. We associate so much with I am a hard worker. 
And if we're going back to, remember, our entire brain changes the way it views the entire world and interacts with it in any given moment based off the identities we put on ourselves. So I can be at my absolute maximum and I can be pushing myself harder than I've ever imagined pushing myself in the world, which I was doing at school constantly. And I would still say, I am a hard worker. And I'd find this like extra 5% that I wasn't tapped into yet. So there's so much that it can serve you. I just think it's very interesting that we need to be so careful with the identities we put on ourselves because we don't just put good ones. We put pretty shitty ones on there too. Mm -hmm. Like for the longest time, one of mine was I'm stupid. I couldn't read. Reading was really hard for me. I haven't been tested, but I'm 95% sure I'm dyslexic. And I just always thought like, I'm stupid. I'm the stupidest person in the room. No one's going to listen to me. No one cares. I have a voice like Cinderella. No one's going to listen to what I have to say. And for the longest time, I beat myself up. And as a result, I'd be quiet. As a result, I wouldn't speak up. I wouldn't share things because I was afraid of looking stupid. I don't know. Do you have any like that where it's like, these are identities you put on yourselves or have put on yourself that have not served you? <clears throat> I, I've never had that sort of That's issue. awesome. Yeah. The only time it comes up, well, the only time it did come up was when I was playing baseball at a high level. My internal self-talk was very belittling. Hmm. But that served me really well. Can um, you say more on that? I'm curious why. Sure. It's, yeah. it's very similar to what you're talking about. So in, <clears throat> at least in my brain and a lot of athletes' brains that I've worked with, there is a bad game that happens, a poor mm -hmm. performance. Okay, how do we talk to ourselves after that game? Well, I suck. I'm the worst player on the field. All of these things, right? But that's a motivator because that now is going to get me into the batting cages after the game for the next three or four hours. Mm -hmm. Now, the self-talk is belittling and it's not constructive criticism, but it's actually motivating me to work harder because I think I suck so fucking bad at this sport that I'm going to do anything I can to make this sort of incremental progress. And I just proved how bad I was by playing so poorly on the field that I have to get into the cages. I got to get back into the gym. I got it's all it was it's all wrapped in this sort of grind culture that we talked mm -hmm. about. We yeah. talked about when I was on your show that, you know, rest is now heavily involved in the whole thing, which is great. But that self-talk is also the chip on my shoulder. And so when you start when they when these athletes now start working with these mental skills coaches or sports psychologists they're afraid to talk about that because mm -hmm. they don't want to lose their edge well this is my edge Aaron this is what i do i work harder than everyone else because i talk so poorly to myself this is how i've gotten to the point where i'm yeah. one of the best players in the world but it's not sustainable and it's not durable and it's not healthy and so there's a there's a level that you can unlock past this level if you start talking to yourself not in just a positive way that's mm -hmm. not really it but like in a productive like way like yeah you had a bad game okay how do i talk to myself better okay this is actually what happened this needs a little bit of work okay yeah. i can spend the next 45 minutes actually doing this thing instead of just swinging aimlessly for four hours in the cages now i'm tired didn't get enough sleep now it domino effects into the next. Okay, but what if I actually did do a, a good job? Okay, how can I positively reinforce myself that doesn't sound cheesy and lame? I can just say, oh, that's like me. That's like mm -hmm. me to have a good game. That's how I show up. Sounds good. All right, on to the next one. Right, there's these things that can be productive. And when people think of self-talk or like sports psychologists or mental skills, they think like this mumbo jumbo stuff. 
but it's not true. It's like real concrete information. And you're just thinking the one thought instead of I'm the worst baseball player in the world. You're like, mm, is that really true? No, it's not. Okay. I can only think one thought at a time. What's actually true. What's actually true is that I took my eye off the ball for that split second because I got distracted. That's why I missed it. Okay. So now I know the root cause it's distraction. Okay. So I can fix that because I can zero in on one thing at one time. That's my attention. My attention is under my control. So it's actually something that I can fix. Yeah. So there's a chain of events that you can actually link it to, to create this. Then now you have a real edge and a real chip on your shoulder and a real competitive advantage because you're someone who can handle everything. You know where your attention is going. You know how to focus on the spotlight. You know how to handle the pressure. You know how to recover from a stake faster. It doesn't take you three innings or two pitches. It takes you two seconds. Yeah. And so... That's sort of the same idea of like foreclosing on your identity. Um, but like you said, there's, there's, there is a lot of advantages to it. Like I identified as a professional wrestler or a baseball player, you as a performer. It got me to an exceptionally high level because everything else was not fucking important. Well, and I think it's also because the standard we – really quickly, there's a quote that I want to mention here because you you so beautifully mentioned all of this stuff. And there's a quote that is – I think it's Tony Robbins who says this, which is, see things as they are, not worse than they are. Mm, and I yeah. love that quote because I think we need to remember that. As high achievers, we need to remember that all the time because so often we look at that little 1% that didn't work. But we don't look at the 99% of shit that we're doing well and give ourselves credit for it because we're afraid to look at that 99% because mm, then I'll become complacent. I'll be mediocre. I'll fall behind or whatever. And we solely focus on that 1%. So see things as they are, not worse than they are, which as they are always means giving that balance. Look at what's going well and also look where you need to improve. There is no harm in looking at what's going well. I do want to go back to the identity piece real quick because there is so much... Um, uh, I don't know if you've talked about this on your show, the reticular activating system. Have you talked no, about please, that much? Please go so ahead. in our brain, there's something called the reticular activating system. And it basically just means this giant little filter in our, in our front of our brain, which is taking in the 80 million with an M 80 million bits of information happening at any given moment from the blood pumping through my left ear to my headphones rubbing against my forehead, not forehead, what is the side of my head, uh, to you blinking, to a plane going out outside, how dare you, I'm podcasting, what do you think you're doing? Like, you know, all these middle things are going on at any given moment. But if we were consciously aware of them, we'd be in the fetal position on the ground because we'd be so overwhelmed. So evolution created this particular activating system, which basically filters in all the things that are important to us, like our identities, like um, things we believe about the world, our internal and external beliefs. And it deletes everything that doesn't matter. A really common example when people talk about this is shopping for a car. So for the longest time, my, uh, my now husband and I are shopping for a car. We were looking at getting an orange Crosstrek why orange? I have no idea. It was obnoxious, but I loved it. It's amazing. And before we decided on that particular car with that particular color, we would not see cross tracks anywhere on the road. Now I live in Colorado. They're everywhere. Those four wheel drives dominate the highways here, but we didn't see them because they weren't important. The second we said, Ooh, we're interested in a cross track and an orange cross track at that, we started seeing them everywhere. They were always there. But our brain just suddenly started to notice them because the RAS was like, oh, this is important to Nicole now. So 
when we're looking at our identity, that is one of the most core important things to us. So when I say the world will literally shift around you, that's what I'm talking about. The reticular activating system will start deleting things that don't align with that identity. And it will start letting things through that do, even if it means warping reality so it matches your identity. I think that's so important to realize when we're talking about this. Yeah. I, it's like, it's hard for me to like say it's like such a bad thing. You know what I mean? Oh, it's a great thing. It's, it can, it, it's like, it's like money. Use it for good or evil. Like it's your choice. But a lot of us are going on autopilot and not taking control. And mm. we're not saying, oh, you know what? I have an identity that is I am stupid. I should probably fix that. My identity now is chanted over and over again. I'm intelligent. I'm intelligent. It also is now why I research so much. I love researching the brain. I do, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I listen to a bunch of neuroscientist podcasts because I'm really cool like that. But if I had still kept that I am stupid, there's no way I'd be doing that. And it, the only thing that was stopping me from listening to those shows was just that identity on myself. Now, going back to performing, when I was in, you know, when I was like, I am someone who will go to the best musical theater college in America. I was dead set on doing that. And it is the reason I worked so hard. It's the reason why every single college audition I went into, I tried to outperform my last one. It's the reason I picked the hardest songs I could possibly imagine so I could show off things of my voice that maybe other people couldn't do. We make decisions based off of the identities we put on ourselves. And that can be a great thing. I'm so glad I did that because yes, I really, I was in hating myself to the next level all the way back then. But if I hadn't done it that way, I probably wouldn't have gone to the school that I did, which means I wouldn't have met my husband, which means I wouldn't have had an experience that literally changed the duration of my life. And that had to happen. But I held myself to that standard, which, which was surrounded by that identity. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's the important point that you made. It's like, what identity is serving what? Obviously, the identity that says, I am a worthless piece of shit. We got it. We got it. We got to dive into that a little yeah. deeper because that's just not true. But why do you think that is true? You know, what has led you to think that's true? Okay, how do we go, how do we go backwards and break that down and then move forward to try and change that a little bit? Yeah, that's that's a different side than I am a baseball player. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. some stuff that came out of that that you know I foreclosed on my identity and I sacrificed a few things and maybe my relationships weren't as good as I could have. And I could do that better now. And, and a lot of athletes are learning that, that we don't want to simply identify as this one thing, but more as like who we're being, what makes me a good baseball player yeah. is my work ethic, my effort, my hustle. Those are the things I identify as because those are the strengths that I can take into any domain. So yeah, it may take me, you know, six months after my career, whatever it is ended, but I can still think about the, the strengths that I identified as, not just as a baseball player, but why was I a good baseball player? Now I can take those into other domains. And so, so it's, yeah, go ahead. Really quick, I, I want to recommend an exercise for people. If they're, you know, going through something where they're maybe stepping away from baseball playing or stepping away from musical theater, where they still want to keep that core of that identity, write down on a piece of paper at the very top, baseball player, or what the current identity is right now. And then write five synonyms that you associate with the word baseball player. So what would that... Whoa. <laughs> 
let's try that again. So for for you, Aaron, what would that have been if your top was baseball player? What would the synonyms be that were associated with your version of baseball player? I mean, first one was love, mm-hmm. passion, um, determination, effort, uh, purpose, mm-hmm. friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the ones that come to my head immediately. So those can all be identities too. And so often we associate one word or a couple words with that identity, but there's so much context that we have in our brain that are synonymous with this identity. And just because you stop being, maybe like for instance here, like just because you stop being a baseball player in that way, that doesn't mean those other core identities that are associated with just suddenly go away. So it's about bringing those also to the surface and starting to remind yourself that that's at your core. Just because the title goes away, that core is still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's it, when I realized when someone told me the definition of identity is repeated beingness. Mm. Oh, yeah. The, what oh, you're saying. Can I put that in my back pocket? That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Like once I heard that and then now what you're saying, like, yeah, that that's what makes sense to me. But if someone had told me that, like, dude, your identity is so many things. I'm like, is it like, I don't know, but okay. Now I know that values are really who I am. That's my, that's my identity. That's my repeated beingness. Yeah. So they can be in any domain that I exist in. I just have to show up as those values. Um, yeah. So now what you're saying that actually has a, like, it makes sense to me. I can put those two things together. And now thinking about all people who are athletes or left a performance space or left a job or their kid just went to college, right? All of those things are who you were for a really long time. This is, this is very, very, very important for the, you know, just your sanity, your mental health, how you go about your day. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I I mean, yeah, go ahead. I, I think that, oh man, there was something I was going to say. What was it? Um, I'll actually reevaluate. So at the end of actually, at the end of every year, I do this huge big year in review where I look back at my previous year. I look forward. I look at my goals. I reevaluate my goals. I do all this different stuff. But one of the things I do in that is also reevaluate my identities. And I see, okay, which ones are still serving me, which ones are not serving me, and which ones maybe need a 2% adjustment. So for instance, I'm a hard worker is forever at my core. That is at my core an identity of mine. But I needed to adjust some of the synonyms I had with them because for a while it was like, okay, well, that means I outwork everyone else. And now it means I work smarter, not harder, which is ironic because it is hard worker, but for lack of a better term, go with me here. So for me, making that shift allowed me to still be a hard worker, but I now focus on different aspects of hard work rather than trying to do it all, quote unquote. This is what I was going to say. Um, for many high achievers, athletes, 100% in this category, we tend to be very all or nothing thinkers. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we tend to say, okay, well, I am this identity, period, full stop. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> End of sentence. Like we tend to say that we are this identity because living in the gray or living in the multitude tends to feel very uncomfortable for us when we're super black and white. So this is just a friendly reminder that life is not black and white. Shock of shocks. We all know this, but 
to remember that your identities also cannot be black and white either. Even though you are stating this is an identity I have in myself, we are multi-passionate human beings. Baseball was also love for you. It was also passion for you and family and friends. That is not something I would associate with the word baseball. And so remember that there's already so much subtext, which means there's already so much gray area there. It's not that all or nothing. You're allowed to have multiple identities. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, when did your performance career end and when did you step into the coaching arena? <laughs> so... I was living in Chicago. I was performing there for a while. I was doing the whole actor thing, getting up at four in the morning, standing outside in March in Chicago. It was cold at, you know, 430 in the morning with my cup of coffee and I'd wait for the doors to open and I'd wait 12 hours and sometimes I'd get seen, sometimes I wouldn't. It was a jam. But there was a big, big, big personal development conference that was going through Chicago at the time. Um, I think it was Unleash the Power Within, actually, which is a Tony Robbins conference. And for those who don't know, my parents worked for Tony Robbins for many, many years. I'm very familiar with his work. I'm very familiar with this conference. And I was like, if I can go, I would love to. The irony is that the same weekend that that conference was, was the same weekend that I was a lead for the first time since college in a musical in Chicago. And when you're a lead you can't, you don't basically have a life outside of performing because you have to save your voice. You have to um, drink tea and sit in the dark. <laughs> it's like, you just, you have to protect that. And for those who haven't been to a Tony Robbins conference, it's anything but that. You're standing up, you're screaming and yelling, you're like releasing sounds that are so guttural that you never would have imagined and you lose your voice, period. So I was going to this conference during the day. I was silently making all the noises. Like I just like opened my mouth like I was going to scream, but I wouldn't. And um, then I'd leave and I'd go to the performance at night. So the very first day that the conference was happening was the very first opening night. And uh, we were in some kind of exercise at the conference and Tony had us all closing our eyes and just going through like, imagine your career, imagine your life five years from now, 10 years from now. And it's a modified version of the Dickens process, if anyone has done that before. And it was basically saying, like, imagine the life that you are currently thinking you're going to live. So I was like, okay, I'm an actor. I have my equity card. I guess I'm like being called into audition. It was, sounded like that in my head. Like I was so effing over it in my head. And he said, I think he was literally just like fully step into this life as if you're like passionately living it. It was something like that. And that vision wiped away entirely. And in its place was me connecting with people on stages, was me podcasting, was me writing books, was me being able to influence people and talk to people in this way that had them coming back saying, oh my God, you changed my life for X, Y, and Z reasons. And it was like everything in my body came alive for the first time in years. And I started immediately crying. Like it was not even cute cry. Like it was like, <laughs> like the ugliest of ugly cries. And I locked eyes with, he was my boyfriend at the time, but now my husband. And he just like looked at me and he was like, oh, you just, you're about to change the trajectory of your life. Aren't you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think I am. So I go to opening night and I knew that that was going to be my last performance I've ever done. And I went on stage. I had the best time. But when that show closed, I put little book of musical theater to rest. And 
didn't really look back. I I knew I was making the right decisions. It was weird internally because I was like, who am I now? I don't know. But I knew that that calling was way bigger. So I had to I had to follow it and listen to it. And I'm so, so glad I did. Wow. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. My life to tends to not happen in subtle, subtle moments. It tends to really just like slap me in the face when I really need to make a 90 degree pivot. So that is, yeah. that's a great example of that. And now you're doing it. Podcasting, speaking, coaching, classes, courses, clients, the whole deal. I am. And yeah, it sounds like a lot when you say it like that. It does. But um, I am. And I, I love it. I've been doing it for, let's see, that was like 2018. So I've been doing it for five years now. Which feels pretty good. Yeah, it's a good chunk of time. It is. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot in that amount of time. And I still feel like I'm just getting started. Perfect. Well, to test your knowledge here. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to get your take on this quote. <clears throat> so the quote, is from, the quote is from Vince Lombardi. And he says, perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. Ooh. Will you say it one more time? Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I, there's like a little internal tennis match in my head because I'm like, yeah, I can, I can vibe with that. But then I'm like, mm, I changed some wording. <laughs> I would change some wording on there. Um, I'd love to hear. Can I hear your thoughts before while I'm, while I'm marinating? I, I like it. Um, I like it, uh, especially because Vince Lombardi was a he was an NFL football coach, mm -hmm. and so in the sense of a sports dynamic, I think it's it's really um, it works because mm -hmm. everyone knows that you can't be perfect in sports, but if we can get as close as humanly possible, we're going to be right there. Um, and I love how it doesn't talk about outcomes, which are not under your control. Yeah. I like the word excellence. I think that's a, that's a good thing to strive for and to yeah. be. Um, now, yeah, but I don't know as much about perfectionism as you do. So I don't know if it's actually can be productive. But just thinking about it uh, under a sports lens, um, I do mm -hmm. like it. I like it when I think of the word excellence because I'm, I'm right there in agreement with you. I love the word excellence, but the difference between perfection and excellence is excellence around allows for room for error. It allows mm. for room for, um, you know, to miss a day, to have some effing grace with yourself. Now, does that mean all the time? No, you wouldn't be excellent if you were missing every single day. Of course not. But it allows for room for remembering that you're a human being, not a robot. And I think when we think about perfectionism a lot of the time in this element of always striving to be better, always striving for that absolute perfect, perfect run or absolute perfect, perfect play, there's this robotic element to it. Now, in addition to being a musical theater performer, I've also played piano since I was eight. So I know that there are times when I've played a piece and it has been just like chef's kiss perfect. I didn't miss a single note. Everything was on time. It was awesome. But I could never have gotten there without immense, immense amount of imperfect plays, 
and struggling through it and slowing it down and trying it again and resting my hands and then coming back to the piano or trying it. So I think that the, the thing when it comes to perfectionism that I always like to put a little asterisk next to is people think that they're just going to plop down and be perfect. And that never happens. We have to have that blood, sweat, and tears. We have to put in that hard work. We have to put in that, you know, hustle and rest and recovery. But when I hear people say, I'm always striving for perfection, that to me tells them they don't give themselves days off. They don't give themselves any grace when it comes to it. And that's where I like throw down the red flag. You know, I'm like, okay, the hard work, the hustle, the, I want to be the best version of myself I can be is awesome. And when I say when I'm when I talk to high achievers at first, a lot of them are like, "You're gonna, you're gonna tell me to lower my standards, aren't you?" And I'm like, "No, because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> like, of course I'm not going to, because I know you won't. Nor do I want you to. Your standards are the reason you are where you are today. What I want to just you know insert is what having your standards and not hating yourself to get to them. Instead, it's having your standards." and loving yourself at your core. And I, I say that and they kind of like, ugh, roll your eyes, you know, God, you're going to talk to me about loving myself. I know you're definitely a person who hears like the, the stigma around you are loved a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. That's how we can strive for excellence. That's how we can be a perfectionist and be a hell of a good one. But you have to, have to, have to include that element of knowing that where you are right now is still enough, even though it might not be where you want to be, but you're going to get there. But hating yourself to get there is not going to work. So that's my very long-winded answer. I agree and disagree. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so too. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because like the mo- all of the, not funny, I guess it's the wrong word, but interesting, we'll say, yeah. that most of the people that I talk to or meet who are very, very high performers are not um, running towards something that they really love. They're running away from something that they're scared of. Like most high performers are that way because of insufficiency, lack, and insecurity. And it, it, it's like, it's true. It's, it gets them to a point. Like it, it, gets, it gets you to a point. Like I, um, you know, whatever the insufficiency is or lack is or whatever the neuroticism is, like it gets you to a certain point, but you, you reach a ceiling and also mm-hmm. you can't sprint like that for your whole life. Now there's durations of your life where you got a big thing coming up. You got to sprint for four months. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's a push Great. period. We'll get it. But like for my whole life, no, that's not how it works. There's no durability in that. There's, it's hard to be as consistent as you possibly can. And so you have to meet with someone or figure it out on your own, whatever the case may be is like, what are these things that you're running away from? How can you flip that narrative into be more uh, purposeful with that? And instead of coming from a sense of lack, but coming from a sense of abundance, but not changing your internal drive, you're still as driven. You're just being driven from a different, more productive, more healthy place. Yeah. And that's the conversation I see happening now which is awesome. Yes. Um, thank God, because people were running themselves literally into the ground. Um, the amount trying- of people that I have met who have burned out their adrenal glands, I, I'm I'm terrified of the amount of people that I've talked to who have done that in their life. And they had to go on like a six-month sabbatical because literally they could not work or they would die. 
And I'm like, what if we didn't have to get to that point before we woke the fuck up and was like, oh, maybe this isn't the only way. Maybe I can still be a hard worker. Maybe I can still be a high achiever. Maybe I can still be one of the best people in the room and not be constantly running away from something. I want to talk about that for a second, though, because there's a neurological reason why we're always looking at the lack. So there's something in our brain called negativity bias. And it basically just means that way, 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 way back when, when we were living in caves, living in tribes, we'd... For instance, we'd go out hunting and maybe we'd take this very particular path and we'd face off with a saber-toothed tiger at the end of that path. Every single alarm bell of survival is going off in our brain saying, oh my God, we don't want to do this. We're going to die. Da, 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 da. Let's say for whatever reason you survive that face off and you come back to camp, you're never going to take that path again because in your brain, there's this very, very, very huge focus on that path equals I'm dead. Now, let's just say on the middle of that path, you ran into a beautiful bush of berries and these are your favorite berries. You love them so much. Your brain will literally delete it because the need to stay alive is way more powerful than your favorite berries. Coming now, we're not really facing off with saber-toothed tigers every day, but that alarm bell in our brain still exists. So that's why we're so much more likely, let's say you're having lunch with a friend and you say one maybe wrong question or like kind of stupid thing, or maybe it was like something that kind of made your friend like ugh, a little standoffish, but the rest of the lunch was great. It was awesome. You laughed, you reminisced, all that kind of stuff. You're not going to remember the rest of that lunch unless you force yourself to. You're going to zero in and focus on that one thing that happened. Going back to the 1% things that aren't going right and the 99% of things that are, we are biologically programmed to focus on that 1%. And I always like to remind people this. Now, this is not your excuse card to be like, mm, great, I can always be negative. Hooray. No, it's to say, okay, brain, thank you for doing what you're doing and trying to keep me alive. But, you know, talking to my friend and saying something that maybe they didn't appreciate is not a saber-toothed tiger. Let me focus and open up my scope a little bit more and focus on the rest of the things that did go right. Or maybe you're in a game or something like that and you are up to, I'm not a baseball player, so please excuse me, but like you're up to bat and you make a terrible, terrible swing and your entire team is just like, oh, Aaron, that was so dumb. Why did you do that? You're going to remember that one moment rather than, you know, maybe you did two home runs the rest of the race. I don't know. Again, race. Wow. <laughs> No, you, you got I most you. of it. You're good. Thank you. Good, good. Um, but because of that, your brain is, again, going to solely focus on that one moment that didn't work well. So you're going to say, okay, I need to make sure that never happens again. I need to practice. I need to did, 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 did. And be like, like uh, uh, my therapist calls it, you ride yourself like sea biscuit to try to make sure that never happens again. But it's all a survival mechanism. Hmm. You know, that's why it's so important to have a sort of reflection practice at least yes you know like is there some stuff that you try and implement with your clients about how they can figure out what they actually did right and what they want to improve on or anything like that multiple things so i think the most common um, heavy air quotes prescription i write when it comes to this is um often i work with people who tend to focus on the two or three things that didn't get done that day rather than the 50,000 things that did. So at the end of every night, I have them have a little journal next to their bed and they write down three things that they did do that day. Not three things they're grateful for, not three things, but it's just three things you did do that day. And one of them has to be so flipping tiny because here's the deal. A lot of people just write down, okay, I 
pressed publish on my website. I started that business. I've finally been thinking like there are these huge things and we forget that life doesn't happen in the huge moments. It happens in the small. So I always recommend writing one minimum one that is super teeny tiny. Also only three, not more because sometimes you're like, oh, but I did so many things today. I want to write them down. It's not about getting credit. It's not about being a type A in class. It's not about being Hermione Granger. It's literally about writing three things down that you did do that day. The other that, and this is actually from Tim Ferriss, is the jar of awesome. So every single day, writing down one thing that went well that day. And literally Tim even says, because Tim's very open about um, his previous thoughts of suicide and depression and anxiety. And I love that he's so open about it. I think more people um, could use that kind of vulnerability. But he literally writes down anything from, you know, closed a multi-million dollar angel deal or something to didn't die today. Like, thumbs up, you know, like it, they can vary so vastly, but then when you're having a shit day, you can open up that jar of awesome and read over and over again of just these little teeny tiny moments in life that have been awesome. So those are the two that I recommend the most. I think that there is something to a gratitude practice. Um, there's a lot of science that shows how beneficial gratitude can be, how like overtaking your body, it can like literally diminish, if not absolutely eviscerate anxiety. Um, and I think that's awesome. Sometimes it's just a bit of a jump for people. So if you've never done a practice like that, I would recommend starting with one of these two. Yeah. <clears throat> I think just an overall practice of getting into the habit of somehow, some way getting stuff that's in your brain out onto a sheet of paper. Yes. Journaling. Um, so good. <laughs> journaling. Yeah. You, you can, like call it whatever. Like you can use your phone. You can, yeah. you can use your laptop. You can, but it's, it's best if you actually write it down because yes. you're, you're sort of feeling pen paper. You get that sort of sensation. Writing things down is like a forcing function. Um, You're also less likely to get distracted is another big thing because distraction is one of the biggest reasons why we don't actually take the time to sit down and take care of our mental health because, oh, I got a text message. Let me check this in the middle of my meditation. <laughs> like, So I, I echo the pen to paper as well. Yeah, it's important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's also, I think, important. Journaling is important to put a date on it. Yes. Um, yes. You know, especially when we're we're dealing with our mental health and we're having a not a very good day and things seem pretty bleak and we just took a moment to write in our journal. We put a date on it. We're like, I'm just not feeling very good today. You know, my mind is telling me that I'm I'm worthless and no one cares about me and um, you know, my brain thinks I'm going to feel like this forever, right? Which is a very common thing. Like I, this yeah. is gonna, I'm going to be in this moment forever. And then we, we start to work out of it. We start to implement some of our protocols and get to our mental health toolkit and move a little bit and brush our teeth and maybe take a shower and do whatever we can. Right. And then three, four, five days later, we put a date on it and we're like, I feel a little bit better. And then we can circle back to the, the six days ago and see like, Oh, like that was, that mm -hmm. was a trick, but I, I'm stronger. I overcame that. And now I have evidence moving forward. I have an actual undeniable stack of proof that I can get through this next time because it might happen again. Yeah. Um, and so that's also important because now you're just building up evidence for yourself that you are a capable, strong, powerful human being, even when your mind is telling you that you're shitty, no one likes you, you have no friends, you're whatever, right? All of that mumbo jumbo that we've heard. But now... I can actually look at it and say, hmm, okay, is that actually true? That's a question I can ask myself. 
like I may have treated that person wrong, like I may have said the wrong thing. That may be true, but I'm not horrible mm-hmm. person. I, I'm not the worst person to ever exist. There's many, many more people who exist out there who've done much more shitty things than you than like said the wrong thing over text message yeah. one time. And, and so goes, keep going, sorry. Yeah. And so that just that that's also a really important part of journaling. And then like celebrating the wins because, you know, people say that all the time. Celebrate the small wins. Look, how do I fucking do that? Well, <laughs> You know, here's the thing, yeah. right? You just, you have to you have to acknowledge yourself for doing that. Okay, you brush your teeth, win. Like, I don't know, put a check mark in, pat yourself on the back, say that's like me. Like, do something. It doesn't have to be this grandiose gesture where you take yourself into a massage, you know, every day for brushing your teeth. That's not going to work. But like, just at least acknowledging it, taking a second to be like, I did it. Yeah, that's I am that person. And then you just move forward with your day, and that's how you can acknowledge that, or you can write it down in your journal. But I think those things are important. So at the end of every, honestly, big step forward or little step forward, it doesn't really matter um, that a client of mine experiences. My very first question to them is, how are you celebrating? And they kind of like deer in the headlights. They're like, uh, I don't know. I'm going grocery shopping today so I can get a coffee. And I'm like, it's not on your to-do list. No, you are not putting a celebration on your errands list. Absolutely not. And I think that it's important to realize, and I say this to them all the time, is that celebration, true self-celebration, I'm not talking like you're going out to dinner with your friends to celebrate a promotion or whatever, but true self-celebration and pride comes from being present with yourself and literally saying, look how far I've come. That's what celebrating is. And it can be so small. Like you're saying, it can literally just be like, um, I know Mel Mel Robbins is a big person of like high-vibing yourself in the mirror. Like literally it can be as simple as that. It can be looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, you know, finger guns. Good job, Nicole. You did great. Like I say that, like I haven't done that thousands of times. I have (laughs) like, but it's so easy to just brush it off. But if we brush off the little wins, we get to the big ones and we're like, okay, um, what's next? And then this huge thing that you've been working towards for however long is just suddenly brushed under the rug. You have to, have to, have to celebrate any and all steps forward. Like you're saying, even if it's as simple as brushing your teeth, even if you're, you know, um, wanting to run a marathon or something and you ran your first three miles and you're like, oh my God, I have 23.2 to go. Great. That's still a step forward. Celebrate that. And I hear this from a lot of high achievers. It's like, oh, like, but I didn't push myself to burnout or, oh, but I didn't, you know, like gas myself out. Like I don't deserve to feel proud of myself because I didn't push myself to the absolute limit. And I think that that's the biggest crack of bullshit is we have to push ourselves to the absolute limit in order to feel proud of ourselves. No way. A baby, when they're learning how to walk, is not pushing themselves to the absolute limit. Like they're not like going in like that. They're just learning. They're taking a step forward. They're figuring out their balance. They're just like taking something that's so curious to them and figuring it out. That's also you here. Maybe you're not learning how to walk, but learning how to run three miles is pretty damn impressive. So when a baby learns how to walk, we're all jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, grab the video camera, Jeff. Like, you know, it's like, it's this huge, big monumental moment. And yet you're not giving yourself that same amount of credit at this stage of life. It's time to start doing that. Stepping off my soapbox. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you know, what is your take on, on goal setting? Is that something you do? Is that something that's important <laughs> to you? 
It's 90% of my job is what I'd call it. Yes, it's deeply important to me because no one effing taught us how to goal set. And especially the people I work with tend to be going after like, I, I literally I counted one time with a person on a discovery call, 42 goals at any given moment. Now it could be two, it can be 42, it doesn't matter. But if you're going after multiple, multiple, many, 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 many goals, many, many studies are showing right now that if you start doing that, you're far less likely to succeed because first and foremost, if you're making progress in let's say 10 different goals, let's go a little easy, but if you're making progress in 10 different goals, that's going to be really slow incremental progress in 10 different things. Our brain will not acknowledge those things as progress. So it'll say, you're not making any progress. You suck. You should quit or you should just, you know, drop it or you should, whatever, you should work yourself harder. So I'm a big, big, big believer in goal, not plural, goal, goal setting, taking one goal making it, I, I call it the Everest goal. So it's like this far, you know, anything between three months to three years goal that you have for yourself saying, okay, let's make this easy math. That's level 100. I'm here at level zero. Great. There's one through 99. What's step one? Solely focus on that. That's your mini goal or milestone goal is what I call it. Then I look at that milestone goal and I say, okay, great. What needs to happen in order to make this milestone goal happen? I typically like to make milestone goals anywhere between one to two weeks. They're super, super short. And then I like to write down, okay, what are all the little tasks that go into achieving this milestone goal? Check, 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 check. Great. Celebrate myself for this milestone goal. Yay. What's step two? Three, four, five, so on and so forth. We make goal setting way too complicated. <laughs> So that's my little three, like crash course in my three-step process. But yes, I love goal setting. Are you, um, in terms of your goal setting, are you thinking more like with outcome-based goals or like a process-based goals? Or do you have, you have both mixed in? Both mixed in. So the, I look at it like the outcome is that Everest goal, that, that long-term based goal. And then the process-based goals are those little milestone goals that happen in between. Mm -hmm. So I like to marry the two together, but so many people just focus on the outcome-based goal and they're riding themselves like Seabiscuit, trying to get there. And they're wondering why it's not happening fast enough. What are they doing wrong? Why are they falling behind major air quotes? Cause no one ever is. Um, I've heard so many things I could go on and on, but if we only focus on that outcome-based goal, we're never going to feel like we're making any progress towards it because it is far away. Even if it is three months, it's still as far away versus breaking it down into these little indie bitty teeny tiny steps. Again, that one through 99, we get to see much quicker. Oh, I'm making progress. Oh, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. I'm making progress, which activates the dopamine release in our brain, which then creates more motivation, which then, you know, tends to create more serotonin and more positive self-talk as a result. Like it just boom, 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 down the line. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean outcome-based goals are, they're important, Definitely. but they're, lar they're largely out of our control. Yes. You know, if my goal is to get a promotion, I, I don't control that specific end goal, but I have the sort of the the processes or the steps that I could take to give myself the absolute best chance to get that promotion. And yeah. I think that's where, uh, that's what you're talking about here is where people are focusing on like week to week, day to day as sort of the actual work they can be doing. And then, you know, hoping, giving yourself the best chance. You obviously did all the work in, but we know life is not fair and sometimes things don't work out. 
but there's a there's a sense of peace knowing that you did everything you could and that's yeah. okay and that feeling of defeat potential like not permanent defeat or just a, a setback is much better than a feeling of regret and never going after it at all and so then how can yeah. you how can you take the information you learned and try again and go back okay so i didn't get it this way what are the things i can do differently here's another job with sort of the same thing that i'm fired up about boom let's go for it and you just yeah. keep doing that way um you know sometimes the outcome works out the first chance you get but uh you know sometimes it doesn't you have to go back to the drawing board and that's sort of part of the work the challenge all that good stuff so here's an example um a client of mine a few years ago she mentioned she really wants to be a lead in an HBO drama. She's an actor in LA. Um, and I was like, okay, that sounds great. Great Everest goal. Love it. So what are the things in your control? And she was like, okay, um, you know, putting myself in the best odds to get an agent, um, getting new headshots done, uh, attending every open call I can, talking to people in class to network, da, 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 like all of these different things. Those suddenly became her milestone goals. Some were bigger than others, obviously, but for lack of a better term, like those were all her milestone goals. So then we started focusing in on how can we get these to happen? How can we get these to happen? She has not become a lead in an HBO drama. However, she got an agent. She's now working on this awesome film in a place that she never thought she would be working on. She met a partner through a class. Like, I mean, literally it was just like all of these things that also were things that she wanted ended up happening because she was taking those big action steps of the things that she was in control of. So Often it actually leads us not where we originally intend, but that's kind of the beauty of it because it ends up leading us to this whole, like, here's a, here's another example. Last year, my goal was I want to give a TED talk. I was like, okay, this is a five-year goal. I want to do this eventually. And my coach at the time was like, great, it's five years. Start applying today. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, sounds good, I guess. So I applied to... A metric fuck ton of TED Talks last year. Didn't make any of them, which is totally fine. To be quite honest, my applications were not great. But what did happen is I ended up volunteering for a TEDx here in Colorado. And as a result, the day before the event, the lead volunteer, who was like basically in charge of all of the front of house, was unable to make it because of a family emergency. And they flipped through their little database of volunteers and they're like, oh, Nicole was in theater. She probably knows how to do this. She seems type A. Looks good to me. I did a crash course in how to run the front of house of a TEDx event and crushed it. Absolutely crushed it because I didn't have time to panic. And from that experience, I'm now on their board. I just helped pick out the entire speaker spread for this next year. And I've now gone through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications for speakers. And now I know how to write a damn good application. That is not the path I thought I was going to be taking. But here I am sitting on a board of TEDx people having gone through an entirely different experience. So release, I, I do often say this and it kind of freaks people out. Sometimes you've got to release the outcome and see what happens, but you still need to take the steps forward that will bring you closer to what you think you want at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's a a perfect story of you have to you have to be in the arena for anything good to ever happen. Yes. Yes. Like you put yourself out there, blood, sweat, and tears and all, and now you have real tangible information to achieve the original goal which you plan for while also being able to do other cool shit in the process. Mm-hmm. 
fucking exactly. awesome. That's it. It's about action. It's all it yeah. boils down to. It really does. Like, you can consume all of the best practices in the whole world. Please listen to this podcast. Please listen to Nicole's podcast. You will get the best practices there. But if you do not take those practices and put them into action every single day of your life, then nothing ever will happen. And that includes action of sleep and rest, recovery and work and grind and relationships and community and family and being a mother or father or student or brother, whatever it is. It's action oriented. I want to so, touch on, can I touch on that real quick? Absolutely. Sometimes the action of not working is the best action that is going to push you out of your comfort zone. I hear that time and time again. And I just wanted to echo that. Like sometimes the action that you need to take or like the big, like get out of your comfort zone is to not, you know, go into the batting cages for an extra three hours because you hate yourself because you miss that swing. Like <laughs> sometimes it is, okay, maybe I need to go home. Maybe I need some water. Maybe I need a nap. Maybe I need to read a book by a fireplace. Like I am in a little rom-com or something. Like sometimes it is stepping away and that is so uncomfortable but it's uncomfortable for a reason, which means you got to get out of your comfort zone in that way too. Absolutely. All right. I got one more question for you. Lay it on me. What's up? Sto stolen from Tim Ferriss. <gasps> My heart and soul. <laughs> so you may know this question because you probably heard him say it on all of his podcasts, but I love it and I'm stealing it and I give him credit every time I do it. So when I eventually ask it to him, he'll know. Um, I love it. <laughs> if you were going to put a billboard up in Colorado, what are you going to put on that billboard. If I was going to put a billboard up in Colorado, what would I put on that billboard? Be fucking patient. That's what Beautiful. I put on that billboard. Why? We want it now. We always want it now. And it is one of the biggest reasons we beat ourselves up into oblivion. If I had a nickel for every time I had someone tell me I want to be further ahead and I'm not and I'm doing something wrong, I'm falling behind, um, I need to be pushing harder, I need to be working more, I need to be do, 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 do. I should, 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 should. And it's like, no, what you should be doing is realizing, again, that 99% that is going right, you're leaning into the 1% that's going wrong. Look at the 99% that's going right. Give yourself some freaking credit. Keep going, but be patient. It's going to happen. And um, I think this is actually a Brene Brown thing. It's like, if you're constantly wanting it quicker and quicker and quicker and more and more and more, you're never wanting it for the right reasons. You're wanting it for your ego. <sighs> and I'm in the business of not wanting it for my ego anymore. There's nothing good that came from that. When I started leaning into wanting this to make an impact, my entire life changed. And patience came along with it. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, where should people go to find more of you? I am on Instagram primarily. I'm at Life Coach Baker on there, all one word. And I also have a podcast, which you'll hear a very familiar face. Hear a very familiar face? Mm -hmm. I'm a podcaster. I speak for a living. You'll, <laughs> see, you'll hear a very familiar voice. Aaron was on my show. It is called Imperfect Success. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about me and what I do, I'm at lifecoachbaker.com. Beautiful. All linked below. So click on it. Check out our episode. If you enjoyed this one and all of our other episodes, it's a great podcast. And Nicole, thank you.
Thank you, Aaron. This was fun. Take care, guys. See you. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Nicole Baker. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could implement it into your life starting today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And please don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by joining our community on Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, see which tier might work best for you, and I really appreciate your support in advance. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.